You're tuned into KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino, and around the world at kvmr.org. Welcome all. I'm Paula, your host for the women's show on this night of the full moon. This show is an invitation to get in touch and make friends with death herself, also known as Dorothy Truth. This is Dorothy, and as Paula said, also known as Death Herself. First, I really want to thank Paula and KVMR for giving me the opportunity to speak with you here today. As you might guess, being death, I don't get all that many invitations. So why me? Why did an old waitress become death? What was the process? Was it random, or was I picked somehow? I don't know, and I probably never will. I was just an old lady working as a server in a high school cafeteria, and I had a really, really bad day, involving a great number of dead meatloaves and my immediate termination. I went to my favorite bar, the Dew Drop Dead Inn, for a martini, you know, to celebrate. And I sat down, purely by accident, right next to Death himself. Of course, I didn't know this at the time. I just thought he was a tall guy who worked underground. For some reason, I thought he might be Amish. I don't know why. But we had a couple of drinks. We talked. Mostly, he listened to me talk about my crazy day. Nothing particularly strange about it. Or so I thought. Then a slip of paper arrives on the bar. An official work order. The very work order that death had come to that bar to, pardon the expression, execute. It names Ralph a regular customer sitting now at the bar eating a peanut who has no idea that he's about to see things much differently. That is, die. I believe that my presence, perhaps my friendship and easy conversation with death, the fact that I'd helped him get and enjoy a beverage, the fact that I treated him like anyone else, had somehow changed the dynamic of the situation. And so when Ralph went on his merry way to the other side, as sent by Todd, I went with him. It was a full-on, near-death experience. But it was someone else's death. But I got the whole show. And I came back to the bar to find myself kneeling on the floor next to a dead guy. Hell of a thing, isn't it? said Todd. That's what his very good friends call him, by the way, Todd. And that was my initiation, purely by accident, it seems, into the business of death. We made Ralph as comfortable as possible, called 911, and then made our way to the nearest Denny's for a snack. That kind of work really makes you hungry. It was a nice walk, a warm summer night. We didn't talk. Funny, I was thinking Denny's is where I had my first waitress job. Is that ironic? I'm never sure of that. So we sit in a booth, order coffee and a patty melt for me, and we get to talking. We stay up all night talking and comparing notes on being dead and being alive, trying to figure out what just happened. He was intensely interested in my life story. This was entirely and completely new for me, let me tell you. We talked for another day and then another day and another, and we actually stay in that booth at Denny's booth for seven weeks. We had a great time. I sang for him. He listened. We told stories, or I did, actually. Todd never tired, not for a second, of hearing stories about what it was like to be alive. And then surprise, surprise, one day about six weeks in, Todd 
comes to life. In that booth in the Denny's, it was hard to miss, actually. I think he just couldn't stand to be so near to coffee, to flowers, to beautiful young people, to beautiful old people, to French toast and French fries, and not be alive. He just had to come to life, and so he did. I think it was just as simple as that. But then, as nature demands, he starts to shrink, to wither, to die. And this is when the job really starts. Dorothy, death herself, alone. My friend and mentor, all too soon, gone. So those are the basics. An old lady sits down with death, has a couple of martinis. We get to be friends, he dies, and I take over the job. And now here I am on the radio. I mean, there are some downsides to being death, like the hours, the lack of a social life, the fear that I inspire in so many. But believe me, I'd never, ever go back to the cafeteria. I mean, at least in my present position, I get some respect. People notice when I enter the room. No one ignores this old lady. So there's that, which is cool. I think there might be another reason why an old lady, an old waitress, was chosen. It doesn't seem so wrong to say that we're in an age of institutional collapse, every single one of them. Business, politics, arts, military, and so on. All down, all fallen, corrupt, incompetent. Lack of trust and accountability abound. So I would death be any different, we might ask. I wouldn't by any stretch call Todd either corrupt or incompetent, but even he would have admitted that the time had come. I mean, he was eager to move on, so a fresh choice, if not a fresh face. A woman, one who'd been a server of one kind or another her entire life. Perhaps, Todd said to himself, we old men have had enough time. We need something different now. Someone, he thought. Someone who has worn a hairnet to work. Someone whose feet hurt all the time. Someone who will sit down and have a drink with anyone. Anyone at all. So, we've got a new death. So what's different? What's new about the new death, Dorothy? What changes and improvements can we look forward to? Well, I've narrowed it down to three big items for you. First, a friendlier face for death. We're thinking Betty White here, but she has yet to return our calls regarding the use of her likeness, but we're hoping. But that's what we're looking for, friendly, warm. We want to come back from all the scary stuff, the side, the scob, the cobwebs, the stark terror. Believe it or not, that was all a purely aesthetic choice made a long, long time ago. And there's no reason it can't be changed now. So we are. We want a look that's approachable, relatable. Someone who serves cake. Second, options, upgrades, choices, levels. Platinum, gold, silver, bronze, copper, dirt, mud, the whole thing. Clubs, cards, club cards. Executive lounges, clans, clenches, groups, and so forth. People seem to love this kind of thing. Of course, it doesn't make much difference in the end. But it keeps people busy and in the right frame of mind. We've even got pre-registration options, for instance. You can actually register your future regrets with us, and we'll take care of them. That's our platinum level. Some restrictions apply, of course. Now, of course, many people get very excited when I say options and choice and stuff like that. They're like, can I say, choose to opt out of dying altogether? Well, besides the fact that Legend and Twilight Zone episodes demonstrate 
what a terrible idea this is. It's not remotely possible, and you should be grateful for that. Be careful what you wish for and all that. Here's the thing. There are options and upgrades, and we will do all we can to make them available and useful to you. But the thing is, you have to initiate the process yourself. We'll help in any way we can. But by statute, we are limited in the amount of direct aid that we can give to you. If you do the work, I'm telling you, there won't be any acknowledgments or award ceremonies. But you'll know that you've upsold yourself, and that's the best way to do it. You'll know you're making the best use of whatever preparations you wish to avail yourself of. Now, most religious and spiritual traditions have all the info you need to proceed. And with critical thinking and an open heart, you just can't go wrong. Now, third, education, outreach, publicity, marketing. What good is it to make changes if no one knows about them? For instance, this very show is actually an important part of our education and outreach. See, this business, if you want to call it that, it doesn't have a huge ad budget. Many people think death, old established company, got all the good leads. Got all the leads. Everyone is a customer, right? Or client. They have to be. So we must have gigantic ancient stashes of cash, right? Like the Vatican. Not so. It's a free service. There is no PayPal button for dying. No buy now, no early bird special, no layaway plans. Buy two, get one free. No, none of that. So we get on the radio or on stage whenever we can to get the word out. That's outreach. Now in this connection, I'd like to share this with you. Most people seem to think that if there's a big change in the way the world is put together, you know, like a new death appointed, that there'd be like a notice. Maybe you get a notification on your phone or maybe there's a Chiron going on the low screen in the CNN, you know, some kind of headline. New death appointed, but no. No one tells anyone anything. There is no service. They're left to do the job. Hi, here we are. But back to the business. There's a really big change we're working on behind the scenes. And what I'm talking about is gradually bringing the realms of the dead and the living and everything in between together. For they are, in truth, all one. I'm sure you've all heard of Persephone, right? She's kidnapped against her will and dragged down into the lower realms for half the year. She screams and wails. She doesn't want to leave the sunny world of life, her friends, bread, wine, and fruit, to go to the cold dark below. But she must. And she must stay there six months until spring. But there's another addition to this story, another twist, where, yeah, Persephone doesn't want to leave the sunny world of living. But look, after six months down there soaking in the wisdom and knowledge and most of all the soul depth of the underworld, she has no desire to return to the childish games of the living. And yet she's taken there against her will. And then autumn arrives again and Persephone wails that she has to leave the sunny world. And so on and so on and so on. Persephone every six months forgets where she came from and where she's going over and over and over again. But perhaps she doesn't have to. And perhaps we can see, even for a moment, every little bit helps, that all these worlds to which we come and go over and over 
R1. We're going to continue on this special night with death and dying, having this exploration from an artistic perspective. is open, there's no really right or wrong perspective. We are using the voice, art, and humor also to approach this reality of our day-to-day life in a way, making use of our very special guest, Death herself. Hi, Dorothy. Dorothy here again. You know, one of the most popular additions we made to our outreach program was our Ask Death program. We allowed audience members at the shows to ask questions of me, that is, death, in real time. The questions and questioners came in all shapes, sizes, ages, styles, and content. We got everything from a question like, do you date? Which really confused me. I mean, I couldn't figure out whether they meant like, was I available? Or that the very idea was so offensive and impossible, they just wanted to check to make sure that I wasn't. Well, we also get very many interesting and probing and difficult questions, too. Some of which I was able to attempt to answer. First card, please. Thank you. Question. How do I know if I'm dead? Now, many people think this is a silly or obvious question. It is not. Traditions from all times and places, all religions from around the world, including Hollywood, all have many stories of people who had died but had not yet realized it. Beetlejuice, for one, just many cinematic examples. So it is not in any way a frivolous question. Here's the thing. I just don't know that there's a surefire, easy answer to this. It's not a clear-cut thing at all. You might be sitting, thinking there, rubbish, of course I'm alive. This lady is bonkers. But I'm here to tell you, as a certified expert in death, that plenty of dead people say exactly the same thing. It can be a chore, literally, to convince them that the hour, the minute, the second of their demise has indeed arrived, and that it is now time to evacuate the guest house once and for all. I say sometimes, loudly, if the hearing aids are turned off, I'm death, it's time for you to go. They simply refuse to believe it until it's inarguable and quite obvious due to physical conditions. And by then, it's also too late to get anything positive out of the experience at all. Sad. But like I said, it's not clear-cut. Things that might seem ordinary, regular, correct to you until you see something that doesn't quite fit. Most of us just skip right over such anomalies. We don't see them, literally. I mean, just think about this for a minute, if you will. You're at home or in your car listening to a show on the radio, which is crazy enough, right? Invisible waves in the air delivering music and voice to that box on your shelf? I mean, come on, man, that's nuts. But on the radio show, Death herself is speaking. She's an old waitress, it appears, and is being interviewed and taking questions from the audience. I mean, really, how likely is that? Take a look around. Is everything completely, totally normal? Are you alive? Are you sure? Next card, please. Question. Why is there so often no warning? I mean, it really wouldn't be the same, would it? I mean, the sense of anticipation? 
of wondering when the boulder is going to crush your car or whatever? Is it a headache or is it brain cancer? It would spoil all the fun, not to mention inspire all kinds of crazy schemes to avoid me when the hour of my knocking on your door comes. None of them will work. You have an appointment in Samara, dear sir or miss. That kind of thing. There's absolutely no avoiding me. I must say that I've got a personal interest in this question that comes from my day-to-day experiences as death. In ushering many souls across to the other realm, in permanently separating them from their baggage, I always tell people it's quick and easy, but it's quick, at least. Uh, For me, it's just kind of sad that no one thinks of me until the cold call comes. We don't really send out texts, you know, like 10 minutes, wrap it up. So when the work order comes and I knock on the door, it's like, hi, it's me. Of course, everyone's surprised, but what's so poignant is that almost everyone suddenly decides in that moment that they have an important question to ask me. Like, but, 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 there's no time, right? It's all over so fast. Just like the snail who got run over by the turtle said. The thing is, you can make friends with me now. And then when I come to the door, maybe we'll have time for coffee and cake. Wouldn't that be nice? Next card, please. Question. What is the EULA? The EULA, that's E-U-L-A. That's the End User Licensing Agreement. It's the legal document you signed at birth. Well, you probably didn't actually sign it because you were busy screaming or having your first meal or something like that, but... The document is, for your convenience, pre-signed for you, so you don't need to worry about these things at all. It's all taken care of. Now, as far as the Yuga goes, there are two versions. One is, I was going to say it's really long, but it's actually infinite. It's got everything in it. The Yuga has everything that's ever happened, is happening, and might happen. It's all written down there. In fact, they're writing it even now. So we don't really need to worry about that one. The, the short version comes on a little piece of paper about the size of your vaccination card. And it says, things will happen to you. How you react is up to you. It's Monday night where we are getting in touch with death and dying. Hi, Dorothy back with more Ask Death. Next card, please. Thank you. Question. Will my credit score follow me after death? I am so sorry to say that this is true. Unfortunately, yes. This is due to recent legislation, and we are lobbying hard to get this terrible law changed. But I want to tell you that that's not the worst of it. They, and I think you know who I mean, are trying to get a new bill passed that would make it unlawful to die before all your debts are paid. I mean, you can't die until you paid off everything. Of course they came to me for approval because I would have to sign off for this thing for it to happen. And these men in suits, these men in fancy suits with their Mercedes-Benz parked outside, they offered us death disincorporated, a small percentage of an astoundingly large amount of money. Think of the improvements to your uh, office, they said. Think of all the real good you could do in the world if you just accept our money. They really tried to make the sale, but there wasn't a chance of this happening. But I'm really sorry to say that 
more than a few minions thought that this was a great idea and that we should take the money. They have been sent to the lower realms to work for about a thousand years or so until they see the wickedness of their ways. They're just lucky I'm not into extinguishing unwholesome minions. I mean, picture it. You're 107 years old. Your original student debt of $12,000 has grown to over $750,000, even as you made every regular payment. And now, by law, you're working at a Home Depot. You wear an orange apron and oversized tennis shoes. You sleep in the orange apron and the tennis shoes. You're not entirely sure of your name, but you look at your name tag and it doesn't look familiar or even plausible. You don't know where the duct tape is. People ask you that. You forgot what a Phillips head screwdriver is and you don't care. This must be hell, you think. You just want to die, right? To see your dog and your mom again. But you will not be allowed to. You can't cross over until Visa has their money. I mean, does that sound good? I don't think so. Of course I said no, several times. I also told them, these men in the fancy suits, that they were very, very naughty and that they'd all be very sorry for their behavior the next time they saw me. That's not true, of course. I really have no enforcement capability at all, but it sure scared them a little bit for a moment or two. No, no, not on my watch. This isn't going to happen. Death should be a jubilee, meaning all debts canceled. At least the monetary kind, that is, I suppose. But while we're on the subject of money and payments and so forth, I want to tell you something that Todd said to me over and over. You get what you pay for in life and in death, he said. I just don't understand, Todd said. People seem to spend so much time and energy and work so hard trying not to pay for anything. And so they get nothing at all. I just don't get it. If they knew the score, they'd pay more. Much more. Now there's your slogan, right? That's what I said. If you knew the score, you'd pay more. Uh, we're trying it out, but so, I mean, you know, people are hard to move, hard to move on these items. Win some, lose some. We try everything. Uh, next card, please. Thank you. Question. Will death make me happy? Now, that's an odd question, and I'm not going to, because I don't know the answer, frankly, but I'm going to tell you a story that might help with that one. It's a... Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon, and a guy goes into a supermarket to shop for dinner. Just a simple meal for a simple, single guy. He's thinking about getting fish. He's standing there in the supermarket, looking down into the frozen fish case. And he's taking time, he's taking great care in deciding which fish to get for his dinner. And while he's standing there looking down in the case, in the back of the case there's some shuffling, some movement. And out pops a halibut wrapped in a plastic case, a previously frozen halibut. And the fish looks around and blinks and blinks and then looks at the guy who is, of course, dumbfounded. Hey, asked the fish, where am I? Well, the guy says, you're in a grocery store. And the fish says, 
help me out here. What's a grocery store? And the guy says, well, that's a place where people uh, come to buy uh, food. And the fish thinks for a minute. So that's what you're doing here, huh? Looking down into this case, shopping for food. And the guy feels guilty as hell, but he can't lie. Yeah, he says, that's right. But I was going to get the trout, I swear. Well, says the fish, it is what it is. But I've got a request for you. What, says the guy, what? You, says the halibut, you. I want you to take me home and cook me and eat me. I mean, why not, right? Why wait for some idiot who doesn't even know I'm alive? I mean, you seem like the sensitive kind of guy. I mean, really, it's the best worst outcome for me. I mean, come on, work with me here. I don't have a lot of options. Well, all right, says the guy. Okay, okay, I'll do it. I have to get some asparagus first. So the guy wheels around the store getting the asparagus and the lemon and the butter and everything he needs to make a nice dinner. Takes the groceries home. Unloads them. Turns on NPR. Preps everything up. But just before the guy slips the halibut into the frying pan, the fish says, Hey, wait, wait just a second. I got to tell you something. And the guy goes, okay, okay. And he holds the fish right above the plate. Above the, the pan, the hot pan. And the halibut says, We are entering a different dimension. The dimension of soul, of depth, the underpinnings of which is in everything we see in the sunny world above. The price of admission is the loss, the complete destruction of the script, the story, the narrative. In other words, everything you think of as yourself. In this realm, your shadow casts you. If you go out those doors into the sun or into the warm night, remember that you may just be a figment, a story, a sketch cast by the other you, by what you see from this side as your shadow. Okay, the fish says, bon appetit. And the guy, even though he's a bit shocked by everything that's just happened, prepares a lovely meal. And it was, in fact, the best thing he ever ate. A great, um, a next card, please. Okay, this is a good one. This is a good, this is a good one to end on. Question, what can I do to be ready for death? I mean, this is a great question because I ask myself every day the same question. I mean, even in the bowels of the business, it's still not clear to me what the answer is. Now, my working hypothesis has something to do with something a friend of mine told me a few years ago. He was a chaplain at a hospital. And he told me that most of the people he knew at the hospital, they wanted to be asleep when they died. But he said, and his eyes lit up when he said this, I want to be awake when I die. Eyes open. I want to be there. And I feel the same, you know? I'm going to die. I'm still a mortal human. 
But when I die, I want my eyes open. I want to I wanna know what's going on. So then, if I want to be awake when that moment, should it arrive, arrives, I should work on being awake more. And also get a will done and give away everything and so forth and leave the passwords with a good friend. I know. That kind of thing. The most important thing is just to be awake as much as you can. And that's the preparation. Now, I don't know if I was selected for this post. And if I was, if it was because I'm a woman, I just don't know. But I do know I bring an entirely different skill set and aesthetic to the work. And by all accounts from the minions and clients, I'm more caring for both of them, both minions and clients. Now, I don't, I don't extinguish minions for a slight infraction, for instance, as Todd often did. And for this, the minions are, and I speak exactly here, they are eternally grateful. Since I'm alive and will die, my perspective is certainly different from Todd's because he was eternal. And as the magazine ad used to say, I bring the woman's touch. And I think that's wonderful. But I'm alive, too, and that's important as well. I mean, it's brilliant when you think about it. Someone who's alive, doing the job of death, is certainly disruptive, as they say these days. I mean, a fresh, oxygen-breathing perspective to a moldering model, or something like that. Now, perhaps Todd will do the reverse somehow. Perhaps as a dark, infant spirit who, just before birth, works over the about-to-be-born soul, imparting one last overwhelming glimpse of the depths before she rises, slippery and squealing, into the light. When I was a cocktail waitress, long time ago, back when I was hot, and also, you might guess, a heavy smoker, I knew that I was the leader of a team, or at least a member of a team. And did I scream at the bar back about the lime wedges? I did not. In fact, I'd jump in to help whenever I could. Working together, that's the thing. Lynn Margulis, the evolutionary biologist, said that cooperation is a far more powerful force in evolution than competition is. So I foresee, roughly, and in my madness, humans, minions, all the various and sometimes incredibly obnoxious gods and goddesses of the various sub-functions of death, all of whom I have to deal with on a regular basis, all of those, and me, and you, all working together to establish what we might call a common realm. Well, not establish so much as to learn to see the common realm for what it is. Todd said to me once, Dot, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I mean the old square, right? Dot. The three realms, he says, that is life, death, and the in-between. Dot, they aren't really other places at all. The bardo isn't over there somewhere, and the land of the dead isn't over yonder under our feet. Everything is right here, right now. We're all the same, and all the realms are all the same place, and so on, and so on, and on, and on, and on. That's one of our office jokes here, and on, and on. But jokes about eternity 
are very tiresome after a while. I can tell you that. But ever since I taught the minions how to tell jokes, and more importantly, that there's a reason to tell jokes, I just can't stop them. And so if you're ever dealing with one of my minions and they're tormenting you with bad jokes, I'm sorry, it's my fault. I mean, just try to laugh, you know. A minion puts a post-it on the fridge down in the break room and quotes a recent client. The minions would do this, you know, if if a client said something funny or outrageous or weird, you know, they might write it down on a post-it and put it on the fridge down in the break room so the other minions could see it. And this one quotes a recent client. There is a God. We're all in this together. And everything is going to be okay. End quote. Also, the post-it continues. Who took my cashew milk? You see, life, or something very much like it, continues everywhere, on and on, and on and on. You know, I want to tell you about the last night that Todd and I had together in the booth at that Denny's. A week before, he was big, vibrant, glowing, alive, like I said, smiling at everyone, playing peekaboo with the kids, telling bad jokes. And now, a week later, he's wizened, tiny, almost transparent. But the life and the new love, new to him, and I'm talking about me, just the love for everything, and this is new to him, was still as strong as it ever was a week before. And now he's going, and I can see it, and I'm wailing. Dot, Dot, he says, come on, come on, you're a professional. I mean, I looked down at him, and I'd never seen anyone that happy and I'm despondent I'm terrified what will I do I will why you'll do fine he laughs and then coughs I can't do this without you I cry and he laughs again hand me my bag he says and I grab his ancient cracked leather binder from the table (laughs) he opens it and digs around in one of the corners with his crusty old fingernail. And he brings out between two long, bony fingers my old name tag. The name tag I wore at the cafeteria so, so, so long ago. I mean, it seems like another lifetime, but it was only a few weeks. Hello, my name is Dorothy, it says. I had taken it off of the dewdrop dead end the day I got fired, the day I met Todd. And Todd had snagged it. I didn't know that. And he holds out the name tag to me, shaking. Taken, he says, with all the strength that he has left. Take it. And so I do. You must be Dorothy, he says. And then he drifts away on the summer wind.